Our reading this morning is from James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sam. You may have a seat. It's good to be with you, family. And as you go to your seats, we'll pray that uh, God would do as he always does, and that is use his, his word in mighty ways in our life. So let's pray. Father, I, I do pray that you would be glorified in the words that I say, uh, not because of me. Uh, in fact, I pray that you would humble me and that you would have me decrease so that you would increase. Pray, Spirit, that you would take my words and that you would uh, use them to transform lives more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Will you conform us to the image of the Son? And Father, I pray right now for other churches in Fort Worth who, even in this moment, are opening your word to proclaim your good news, your good gospel. I pray for churches that are very close to us right now, All Saints Presbyterian and Trinity Pres later today and Connell Baptist Church. Pray for churches that we have fellowship in the network of Acts 29, Redemption Story Church, Northbrook Church, and Grace Church. Uh, may you be pleased to bring the gospel to bear on the hearts of all your people in this city and beyond. Uh, we are humbled that this is what you are pleased to do in the lives of us. And so we are grateful as we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we are going to continue in the study of Joshua. And so if you are new, I know we have a few new folks with us this morning, family visiting here during spring break. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you. So grateful that you are worshiping with us today. We have been in the book of Joshua for quite a bit. And uh, I know that Zane mentioned the, the time change at the beginning. I know it's a little thinner in here, uh, just a few fewer people here in the seats. And I don't know if that is because of the time change. It's also the beginning of spring break. It also could be that we are going to continue to talk about hidden sin. Uh, and so that, well, I, I said last week we're going to spend two weeks on hidden sin. Uh, some people, I'm, I'm hoping that's not the reason they're not here. I, I trust that it's not. Uh, even though we are talking about hidden sin, we know that God has uh, much good for us as we consider the gospel. And the gospel is that we are in desperate need. And so we have to grasp the gospel. Uh, when we grasp the gospel, we have to understand uh, the depravity of man and what we are prone to, even in Jesus Christ, as we've talked about today already, even in that passage in James, that we are tempted. And, and when we give in to our desires and sin, 
in Christ we have forgiveness. And so even though this passage in Joshua today is once again on the heavy side, uh, there's a, a lot here that is hard. Uh, we, we pray and trust that God will show us very clearly the gospel of Jesus Christ here in this chapter of Joshua. And so last week, uh, if you were with us, then you remember that we were introduced to a man named Achan. We at least uh, were told his name in the very first verse of chapter 7. This man named Achan, uh, who has disobeyed God. Uh, back in chapter 6, when uh, the Israelites went into Jericho, God said, do not take any of the devoted things to destruction. But that's exactly what we're told that Achan did. He, he took the things devoted to destruction. And his sin has brought anger from God, not just to Achan, but all of Israel. In fact, we talked a lot about that last week. That was the focus last week, was that we sin not in isolation, but sin spreads. Sin is like cancer, and it affects everyone. And so your sin doesn't just stay with you. And God reveals in verse 15, which is the verse we ended on last week, that the man who did this, the man who has sinned, has brought trouble upon Israel, and that man will be killed. And so this week, all of Israel will learn the identity of this man. We already know it's Achan as the reader uh, in verse 1, but all of Israel will learn that it is this man named Achan who has taken the devoted things and has brought terrible consequences for his sin. Now, last week, we didn't hear from Achan. In fact, that was one of the things that grieved us last week, is that we wish that we would have heard from Achan immediately, that he would have come forward on his own volition, that he would be prompted by the Spirit to confess his sin. We did not hear from Achan last week, but today we will. We will hear from Achan today, but it will be too late. Achan has brought trouble upon Israel, and today we will see and read that the Lord has brought trouble upon Achan. If you're taking notes, and uh, we've given you a space to do that here on the handouts, so hopefully you picked up on the way in. If you are taking notes, uh, today's main idea is sin brings trouble and should not be tolerated. Pretty straightforward. Sin brings trouble and should not be tolerated. So we're going to finish out chapter 7 this morning. Uh, the, the last uh, 11 verses of chapter 7 really can be divided into two main ways. And so the two main ways are the disclosing of Achan. So we'll see Achan disclosed. And then the denouncing of Achan. In fact, Achan will not only be denounced, but ultimately there is destruction for Achan. So let's read uh, the first few verses of chapter 7, beginning in verse 16. And the word of the Lord says this, So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe. And the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah. And the clan of the Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites man by man. And Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household man by man. And Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to his name and tell me now what have you done? Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel and this is what I did. 
When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua here and, and Israel uh, are in this process that maybe you've heard about in the Bible and in the Old Testament of casting lots. And so you can see tribe by tribe, uh, the tribes were called forth and, and it was Judah who was called. And so Judah comes forth and then clan by clan, family by family, household by household until the name Achan is announced and then Achan comes forward and is identified. And then you see that Joshua pleads with him to tell the truth and not hide the truth from him. And I don't think we should uh, blow past the tone that, that uh, Joshua has here. Do you see? He says, my son. Can you hear even in, in those words the, the fatherly disappointment that Joshua must have had in this moment? It's, it's very possible, we're not given any indication in the text that this is true, but Joshua has been with these people for years and years and years. It's very possible he, he knew Achan or his family. And so here stands before him a man of Israel, and he says, My son, what have you done? Don't hide it from me. What, what have you done? It breaks his heart. In fact, uh, Joshua is speaking to Achan very much as God did to Adam and Eve back in the Garden of Eden. If you remember, after Adam and Eve eat of the fruits, they immediately hide. They hide from God. And God, God asks, what have you done? What is this thing that you have done? And why are you hiding from me? And we hear echoes of that in how Joshua addresses Achan in this passage. What have you done? Do not hide it from me. And Achan does come clean. This is the first time we hear from Achan in this story. And he does say exactly what happened. He stole uh, what likely amounted to about uh, hundred, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Some, some uh, theologians think it's probably like uh, $800,000 to $900,000 worth of gold and silver and treasure. And he took them and he buried the treasure in his tent. And Achan states it plainly in this text. He says, I have sinned. I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. I mentioned uh, this last week, but uh, we continue to see in the story of Achan how he is, in many ways, the anti-Rahab. Rahab has been a figure that we were introduced to back in chapter 2. So where Rahab trusted God, where she saw that he was to be feared and obeyed, she hid the spies. And now we have Achan. Achan distrusts God. In fact, he sees that God is one not to be feared. And he hid the things devoted to destruction. Do you see how they're on the opposite ends of the spectrum? Achan has out and out disobeyed a holy God. He has violated his word and his law. In fact, he's uh, broken several commandments. He confesses to many of those, and God has said what he has done. He's broken the eighth commandment in stealing. He's broken the tenth commandment in coveting, the ninth commandment in lying, the first commandment in having a God before Yahweh. 
And you can make the argument that he has indirectly broken other commandments in this act as well. Achan has sinned outright against God. Now, you and I might be uh, tempted to read uh, verses 20 and 21 and think that there is genuine repentance coming from Achan. After all, he does clearly say that he has sinned and and what he has done. And so uh, we might read this with an eye toward godly sorrow and genuine repentance. But in actuality, this is just disclosure. This is just saying what God has already known and what now at this point the people of Israel know, that Achan has sinned. So this is not genuine repentance. Achan has been caught He's been caught in his own sin. He has no choice, really, but to come clean. Even in the process that we were just talking about and read about, about the casting of lots, you can imagine the the tension and the drama that's building up in that time. God could have immediately punished Achan, but here, once again, he's giving him every opportunity as the tribe, tribes of Israel are, are called out one by one, and the clans are called out one by one, and the households and the families, and you could just hear and, and think about the tension that's building up, waiting. And yet, even in that process, Achan does not say anything. Even in God's abundant patience for him to say something, Achan does not say anything. He does not throw himself on the mercy of God. Yes, Achan says that he has sinned after he has caught. He tells the truth about his own self-deception and self-justification. He thinks, he really did think that he was going to be able to get away with this, that he coveted and took and lied about it and, and hid it. If Achan really had a repentant heart, we know because of the character of God that if truly Achan was repentant, he would have been saved by faith like Rahab. We know that to be true. But as it was, Achan was in a rebellion against God. In his stubborn rebellion, he once again proves that God keeps his promises It's what we've been talking about through the entire book of Joshua so far. God keeps his promises, and he will keep his promises here as well, but it will be in the most tragic of ways. So verses 16 through 21 show us the disclosing of Achan. Now Israel knows exactly who has done this, and verses 22 through 26 will show the denouncing of Achan. So let me read the rest of chapter 7, beginning in verse 22. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua to tell all the people of Israel, and they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zarah, and the silver, and the cloak, and the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters, and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had, and they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned him, they burned them with fire 
and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to the day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. Why did you bring trouble on us? Why did you bring trouble on us? Again, you can hear, you could hear it in Joshua's voice, can't you? The sorrow, the despair, the longing that it didn't have to be this way, and why was this happening? I wouldn't be surprised if Joshua was saying these words through tears. God's righteous anger burns against Israel. They've been in the promised land, but at this point, really only a couple to three days. That's how long they've been in the promised land, and now trouble is coming for Achan. So we read in this uh, last bit of Joshua 7 that Joshua sends messengers to get all of Achan's stuff, all the things that he said he took, everything that he said that he buried inside of his tent. They take all of that. They take his animals. They even take the tent itself, and they take his children. And he is stoned to death, and all the things with him, including his family, are burned. And we read that the name of this place is called the Valley of Achor. Achor is actually a play on the name of Achan, and the name means trouble. Why did you bring trouble upon us today, Achan? And from here on out, this place will be called the Valley of Achor, the Valley of Trouble. The wages of sin is death. Unlike Rahab, who who lived, and, and actually whose line continues all the way to Jesus Christ. We've talked about that before, that when you read the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew, Rahab's name is in the line. But now we read of Achan. Achan's line ends here. Line of Achan is no more. He and his family are cut off from the presence and promises of God. This story shows us that God will punish unrepentant sinners. It shows us that. What it does not show us is that God is willing to just willy-nilly punish a people group or take part in ethnic cleansing. That is not at all what the book of Joshua is about. God's wrath is set against sin. And in Achan's death, he turns away from his wrath against Israel. This is, a, this is another hard truth that we have to reconcile as people of God here in 2023. This reveals how God is justly set against sin. And in our limited humanity, in our limited understanding, we have to grapple with this reality. This is a hard truth. But God has revealed himself to be such a God that is set against sin. I've been reading a book uh, by Christopher Watkin. The name of this book is uh, Biblical Critical Theory. Maybe not the most exciting title. Uh, but this is what uh, Christopher Watkin says at one point in this book. He says, God never sugarcoats the pill of sin or repentance just to manipulate people into following him. 
If someone comes to God following the biblical pattern, they may not like what they see, but they certainly have no wool pulled over their eyes. God has chosen to swiftly deal with the unrepentant sin of Achan. He's chosen to deal with it in this moment. And it shows us the seriousness of sin. How could it do anything but show us the gravity of disobedience, the gravity of sin against a holy God? We also see in this story a a stack of stones. And that should prompt us to remember another stack of stones that we saw earlier in the book of Joshua. Do you recall that one? That one was during happier times in chapter 4, right after the people of God crossed the Jordan River. Those were stones of remembrance pointing to God's miraculous works on behalf of the people of God, that he brought them over dry land into the promised land. These stones are also memorial stones. These stones are for the people of God to once again remember, but these stones are very sober. There's a sobriety with these stones because it's a reminder of what unfaithfulness brings. These stones show us God's punishing wrath. Achan coveted and took treasure, and now it's buried along with him in the ground. Achan took, coveted, lied, stole all the treasure, all the things, all his, his animals and the tents and even his family are buried in the ground. And so it reveals that where his treasure is, his heart is also dead in his trespasses. And what is, what is even more tragic is that when we read next week in chapter 8, when God gives AI over to the people. In AI, God was going to allow his people, will allow his people to take the treasure. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, hopefully you've heard this since we opened up our service this morning. Hopefully you know that if you are in Christ, you've been set free from the dominion of sin, which is good news. Like, we do not sit here as believers in Jesus Christ condemned. We do not sit here as those still under the wrath of God. We do not sit here as those who will be punished like Achan for sin. Praise his name that he has provided a way out. You are free from the dominion of sin. You are united to Jesus Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit. As we said earlier, we are adopted sons and daughters in a spiritual family. That's who we are. That's our identity. We have hearts now that love God and love others. We didn't have that before. The Spirit opened us up to the truth. And yet, we know, because we live every day with the knowledge that we still fall short, that there is still this indwelling sin, there is still this sin nature, there is still this besetting sin that that seems to cling so closely, we know 
that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are deceived so often into thinking that we still are. That's the reality that we live in, family. Achan, in the story of Joshua 7, is a sobering reminder to be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. How I want to spend the rest of the message this morning is uh, actually considering three fairly specific ways that we fight sin. Because ultimately, as believers in Jesus Christ, we're in a war. We are in a war against the world, flesh, and the devil. But we are in the war, and we have won the war. The war has been won for us by Jesus Christ, and yet day by day, we battle sin. We fight our sin. We fight it together. Because again, sin doesn't happen just to me or just to you, individual, sitting in that seat. It happens to all of us. So how do we fight sin together? There are undoubtedly more than three ways that we fight sin together, but for our time this morning, here are three ways. And the first one is this. Fight sin at the level of your thoughts and imagination. Fight your sin at the level of your thoughts and imagination. I have up until this point in my life, never met anyone who has ended up sinning in some significant external way that, that didn't leave millions and millions of unchecked thoughts or fantasies or imaginations. I haven't met that person who along the way has given their mind over to all sorts of thoughts about sinning. Never met that person. No one just wakes up one day and just has an affair. No one, no one wakes up one day and decides to leave their family unless they've had literally thousands or millions of thoughts that have been left unchecked along the way. No one secretly runs up thousands of dollars in credit card debt without multiple days of coveting and indulging envious thoughts. You can, you can imagine in our story this morning here in Joshua 7 that Achan likely was coveting and dreaming and fantasizing about all the treasure that he's heard about in Jericho and all the, all the things that were probably there. Even before they crossed the Jordan River, you can imagine that Achan was meditating on that and lusting after that. And so when he gets to Jericho and he walks into that room and sees the gold and silver and the cloak, it just, he just didn't fall into sin randomly. And so... Question for me, question for you is, are you making a habit of confessing your thoughts before they turn into external actions? Are you in the, the, the practice of confessing and repenting of internal desires that are unholy and against God before they give way to external actions. That's, a, that's exactly why we read James 1 before the sermon. Because that's what James is talking about. And Sam read that over us. That our desires lure us into acting upon those desires. Which is sin. And sin fully grown is death. I know that uh, I've been a part of several accountability groups in, in my time in the church 
uh, and I know a lot of you have as well. I've called them fight clubs or just accountability groups, and uh, one of the features of those so often that I've uh, had a history with is when men come together and, and we confess the same sin every week. It's like it happened again, it happened again, I failed again. And, and I, I, want to, I want to say that um, getting together and talking about sin is a good thing. Like we should be desiring to hold one another accountable. We should be desiring to drag sin into the light. But my plea for us is that meaningful change, ongoing sanctification begins with confessing the unholy thoughts before they give way to action. Like that's, that's the tip of the spear, family. Like that, that is where Satan first gets us, is, is to have a thought that we don't confess, that we don't check and make obedient to Jesus Christ. And this, this requires a great deal of spirit-led humility. This, this requires next-level vulnerability with one another. That I would confess a thought I had before it gives birth to a sinful action. Um, Ed Welch, some of you know that name. He's a biblical counselor. He's a prolific author. You've probably read one of Ed Welch's books. Um, he has told a story before of a woman in his church up in Pennsylvania. Uh, and he told a story that a few, few years ago, this woman came forward to tell uh, the elders of the church and to tell some of her close friends that internally she was having sinful desires to be with underage boys. So she came forward to confess these thoughts before they became illegal and horrific sin with the minor. Now, can you imagine the courage this woman had to have, fueled by the Holy Spirit, to come forward and to confess something that likely has brought her guilt and shame for years, that has brought her confusion to come forward and confess something that is that weighty. And so what would we say to someone who is willing to kill this type of sin at the, thought, at the level of thought and imagination? What would we say to such a person? What would we say to this woman who is asking for help? Well, I hope we would say thank you. And I hope we would say thank you, Lord, for working in this woman's life. Thank you, Spirit, for conviction of sin. Thank you for the ability and the vulnerability to bring something forward before it gives birth to grievous sin. I hope we would say thank you. I know I want that for my own life. I want that when I receive confession of sin. If you were to confess a sin like that to me, I hope that I would say thank you, Spirit, for bringing conviction to this person that they are speaking of their sin. And then I hope that when I'm the one confessing sin, that I too would receive this type of grace and mercy from God expressed through his people. Number two, we fight sin by confessing before being caught. We fight sin by confessing before being caught. In my experience, the consequences of being caught in sin versus confessing before being caught are much greater. Now, I will say 
that the grace of Jesus Christ covers someone who's caught in their sin. If, if they are repentant, I don't want to at all to say that someone who is caught in their sin is outside of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. What I'm saying is that it's so much easier, it's so much more merciful to confess before being caught. I said, said this last week, secret sin does not stay secret forever. Secret sin does not stay secret forever. When we, when we think that it does, it's because we're acting in pride, just like Achan. Achan didn't think anybody would find out. That's why he buried it. He, he thought he was, he was safe, that he was going to have all this stuff, and no one would ever find out. Numbers 32, verse 23 says, be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure your sin will find you out. One story maybe this uh, makes us think about from the New Testament is the story of Ananias and Sapphira from Acts 5. And if you're not familiar with that story, in the early church, everyone was selling what they had, taking their own money and resources and giving it to the church. But Ananias and Sapphira withhold from the church some of the proceeds from the sale of their land. And they lie. They lie first and foremost to the Holy Spirit and then to the church, and they are killed. Be sure your sin will find you out. Even when the consequences for your sin will be significant, confessing before being caught is just simply less complicated and less heartbreaking. And this too is the work of the Holy Spirit. Just like when we confess thoughts of sin, that's a work of the Spirit. So is confessing sin before we are caught in that sin. Years ago, I met with a brother in church We'd been meeting for several weeks in a row, and he had, uh, it had come out that he had been uh, chatting with other women who were not his wife. And so we met for several weeks, and we would talk about what was going on in his life, and he had brought forward that he was uh, engaged in this type of online chatting. And as we continued to meet, what what you would expect when, when you drag sin into the light and when you confess sin and that there's a burden lifted and that there's godly sorrow and actually a godly repentance that leads to joy ultimately. But as I continue to talk to this brother, there's just, that wasn't there. There was continued burden and sadness. You could see it in his face. You could hear it in the way that he was talking. And so uh, we were meeting one day and I finally asked him, I said, you have confessed this sin to me, and yet it just doesn't seem like you have a freedom. And so is there anything that you're holding back? Is there something that you're not speaking about? And that's when he broke down. And he broke down and said, yes, and that he indeed has been having physical affairs along with online affairs. And so you can imagine the terrible consequences this had for his family. You can imagine the, the terrible news that this was for his wife. But what we saw as God worked in this family was this beautiful story, the beautiful fruit of the Spirit that began to build in this man's life and in his family, and that reconciliation was made 
so much easier because he confessed before being caught. And we can praise God's name that that family is still intact and he is walking in the light and repentance. Finally, we fight sin by considering all of your motivations to avoid sin. We fight sin by considering all the motivations that God has given you to avoid sin. Now, our primary motivation, our first and foremost motivation to avoid sin and to be obedient is God himself. God is holy. God is righteous. And out of the abundance of the love that God has for us, we love him and seek to obey his word. Achan, as we said, told the truth here. He, he sinned against God. So what he said was right. David in Psalm 51, we were led through that last week with Andrew. Uh, David says that he has sinned against God and God alone. That just tells you the importance. The premier one that we have sinned against is God. But God has obviously given us other things, other people, other aspects of our lives to consider as we fight sin. God has brought into our lives several secondary motivations to fight, to consider how others will be impacted by your disobedience. And we all know this, right? It's our spouse, it's our children, and maybe it's our job, it's our ministry, our friends. Molly and I celebrated 16 years of marriage this weekend. Incredibly grateful for God's providence in our marriage and kindness to us. But our first year of marriage was really, really hard. One of the things that I never want to see again is the pain on my wife's face when I confess significant sin to her. And God has used that look on her face, seared it into my mind as a secondary motivation for me. That that's a marker for me, that I never want to see that look on my wife's face again. It reminds me of what's at stake. The stack of stones reminded Israel of what's at stake. The stack of stones in the valley of Achor reminding the people of Israel of so many things. The death of a family. The death of 36 fighting men. The loss of possessions, the destruction of a man's lineage because of sin. Look at those stones and be warned, is what God is saying. Look at these stones and be warned. So yes, sin brings trouble and should not be tolerated. And praise be to God that ultimately it hasn't been tolerated Sin is not tolerated, but has been dealt with once and for all in the death of Jesus Christ. Jesus was taken outside the camp and killed in our place. But he didn't stay in the ground. For those of us who are his by faith, we have life in him. He's been raised from the dirt. He's been raised from the grave. Our salvation means that we are forgiven fully and forever, and it frees us to confess our sins. That's why we can confess our sins, because we are His. The Spirit strengthens us to confess thoughts before becoming actions. The Spirit strengthens us to confess before being caught, 
to remember what's at stake in our sin and its consequences. In Christ, we were far outside of the camp. We were headed to the same fate as Achan. Our name was called, and we were being marched outside the camp. But now we've been brought near by the blood of Christ who took our punishment for us. The Father will never forsake His children. Therefore, we can tell the truth about our sin to our Joshua, Jesus. That's what we've been given in Christ. Chapter 7 ends with the, the terrible name Valley of Achor. We've already said what that means, Valley of Trouble. Stones stacked on top of dead bodies of the wrath of God displayed in the midst of Israel, the Valley of Achor. But, and I would encourage you to read Hosea chapter 2 this week, because in Hosea chapter 2, we read that God will make the Valley of Achor a door of hope. God will do that. God will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. Achan will not be the only one who sends in Israel. I think we all know that. I know so far in the story it's only been Achan, but give us a few more chapters. We're going to see more and more sin, and certainly as we get into the deeper parts of the Old Testament, we will once again be confronted with the fact that Israel has not been obedient. But God will provide a way out of this valley. Israel and God's people will not be in a valley of Achor forever, but instead will be taken through a door of hope. He will send, God will send a bridegroom to rescue his bride and bring her out of the valley of death, to bring her out of the valley of trouble and through the door of hope into eternal life with him forever. That's what our God is doing and will do on that final day as we walk into his presence. And so let us go to him with thanksgiving now. Father, we, we do ache for that day. We see the way that sin clings so tightly in our lives now. We see the deception that we have by sin and by the enemy. We choose to walk away from you. And so we, we look around and we see the valley of Achor valley of trouble. And yet we know that you've brought us already through a door of hope because of Jesus Christ, that we are covered by his blood and his righteousness. Those of us who are united to Christ no longer are bound by sin. We're no longer slaves to it. So thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have given us new hearts that can confess our sins freely, knowing that we are forgiven in Christ. So will you do the work to bring courage and vulnerability to us, that we might speak of sin as, it, as it, we are marinating on it in our own minds, in our own thoughts and fantasies. Will you allow us to put that to death at that moment? Will you help us to confess our sin before we're caught? Help us to drag that into the light, knowing that, again, the consequences of sin are present because you discipline those you love, but the eternal punishment has been taken on by our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's His name we proclaim, and we're safe in Him. We're loved by Him.
and in Him. And I pray that we would be a people that, that walk in this type of humility, that walk in a desire to put to death the deeds of the flesh, knowing that this is a work that you do in us. And again, we know that one day we will see you with our own eyes and all sin, all presence of sin will be gone forever as we leave the valley of Achor and walk through the door of hope. It's in Christ we pray. Amen.